welcome everyone to another installment of the evolution exchange podcast again we're here live on a webinar and this time we're talking all about ai versus it and the key differences that you need to know we've got a great panel lined up for you all to listen to as well so we have matt Stulin, sarah madores rosavi Morton Blankfors and Eugene Olsen. And like I said, we're going to be discussing AI versus IT. Very hot topic at the moment. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Before we get stuck into it, we'll start with some introductions. So Matt, do you want to kick us off? Yep. I'll do that. Hi, I'm Matt Stulin. I'm Director of Core Technologies at Axis Communications in Lund. Really happy to looking forward to this uh, discussion. Uh, I'm intrigued by by the topic because it's not the, the difference has been between AI and IT is not very clear, but at the same time we are seeing dramatic shifts in in, in the AI landscape. So it's super interesting. But See, I've warned you guys about having the audio on the other side, but it, I did it as well. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. Carry on. So, so we're seeing dramatic changes in the technology around AI, and now that will affect both IT departments as well as organizations. It's super interesting. Perfect. Thank you for that, Matt. Again, apologies for the interruption. <laughs> um, Sarah, would you like to go next? Sure, Abby. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Sarah Modaris Razavi. I'm a Cloud Run Innovation Program Manager at Ericsson. Uh, with Cloud Run, we are basically offering a cloud native um, support to a software developments to um, communication service providers and enterprises uh, in order to give them flexibility, scalability, and uh, faster delivery of service. Um, I have been at Ericsson for around eight years now, but mostly in Ericsson research. This is my new job role right now. But um, so, so it is prior to that, I, I got my PhD in infoinformatics from Linköping University. I'm married, having two children, 10 and four. I'm originally from Iran and I love traveling and listening to podcasts, and I'm happy to be part of one now. Perfect. Will you listen back to yourself? <laughs> yeah, I have that, <laughs> but let let me see. Let me check it out. It depends on what happens to the <laughs> Nice. Um, Morten, do you want to go next? Yes, I'd love to continue. So thanks, Sarah, Matt. Uh, yeah, I am Morten Blagforsch. I have uh, a background in engineering physics and machine learning. So I studied machi machine learning at KTH uh, right during the uh, deep learning image recognition hype. Uh, I did my first projects uh, like thesis projects in, in generative models and GANs, which was 
think I've never had so much fun in a project. Uh, I've been out in the industry doing AI projects, deep learning focused, uh, a bit of natural language processing, but mostly image, uh, yeah, computer vision projects, I would say. And I think like this topic is really close to my heart because I've been like, my career has transitioned a bit more from AI and deep learning towards more systems development, IT. So right now I'm, I'm a blockchain engineer and, uh, I focus on a lot of other stuff. I'm, I'm very passionate about organizational development. I worked at a couple of startups and, and larger companies as well. And I really love to build culture, build teams, build software, deliver things. I'm still super passionate about AI, but as I'm working in smaller companies, the big AI developments we've seen in the past years have been driven by larger corporations with huge data sets. And that's also something I hope we can touch on in the podcast. I'm super excited to talk about this with all of you. Perfect. Lovely. And last but not least, you team. Yeah. So I'm a self-taught engineer. I have about 20 years experience doing software development. I started really young. I don't have a degree, but I've been doing startups and I've been a tech CTO for the last 10 years. Uh, most recently, I was working on a project called InchBench, uh, which was a computer vision and machine learning startup uh, focused at improving learning within football for young kids and getting them active and moving again. Nice. Love it. Um, well, now that we all know you a little bit better, we'll get stuck into the questions that you guys have prepared. And as usual, we'll make our way around the group, sharing your thoughts, all to do with AI versus IT. Um, so, Sarah, your question is first, and you asked, um, before we get into the differences of everything, what are some of the similarities between AI versus IT? So tell us a bit more about your question. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Uh, when I uh, checked this question of comparing AI versus IT, uh, to me, working with AI projects for several years now, uh, it sounded strange comparing these two at all. Uh, you know, it was just uh, completely different things to, in my view. And then the more I thought about it, the more synergies I've seen. And then I felt like, okay, now that we are having a session talking about it, their differences. Maybe it's good to start with their similarities first. Uh, and if I want to start myself, uh, well, of course, both of them are evolution of the software development. Both of them are tools, but not the goal. I mean, it is mainly some use cases, some scenarios which make uh, sense to us and change uh, our views. Or, I mean, the goal is those, uh, but these are both tools to accomplish those. Uh, another um, aspect uh, which both of them have is that at some point in time, they become quite a big hit and hype. I mean, currently, artificial in intelligence, you can see it everywhere in academy, all industry uh, is trying to transform, them, transform themselves to AI. And uh, uh, what happens is that I think if we move back around like 20 years ago, uh, IT had similar type of hype and everyone was trying to move to and study and get those competence. So this is also another synergy. And uh, last item I, I thought about was that I don't know how much you're familiar with this paradigm, uh, the um, um, this, oh, yeah, yeah. When you go from data, raw data to, uh, to information, then to knowledge and then to wisdom. Uh, how um, you were, tr tr I mean, before with IT, with information technology, we managed to move from raw data to information, which is 
a more processed data. And then, uh, of course, uh, the intention is to make that information to real knowledge and finally to wisdom for human being. And uh, I think that if we check it in this level, we, we can think of uh, AI to be an involvement and evolution of IT industry. So uh, that was my view, and but I'm very interested to hear everyone else's view. So I can pitch in on, uh, I think you gave it. For me, you give a very good <clears throat> background or description. So, so the underlying similarities is is about data processing to some extent uh, to uh, distill and and the levels in and and sort of enriching information, uh, as well as a, a tool tool for automation. But uh, I, I think the most interesting here is that. There are so so many similarities, and we we se seem to forget them because they are shifted in time, which you described. So when we talk about IT today, it's very easy to think about the IT department and our office tools, or but it, 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 underlying there there are so many similarities. Mm -hmm. But it, it goes back to what the definitions of what we really mean with with the terms. Uh, so uh, if, if if we take take the term IT. We all know IT tools, we know IT strategies, we know IT departments, etc. But we, we don't have an AI department, etc. So so, so that I, I think you put the finger on that there's a shift in time, but there are many similarities. We should really understand the similar, similarities to, to help guide us through the, the AI journey we're moving into. Yeah, and I also come from the, the side where like AI versus IT, well, AI is IT, right? In some sense, IT is a very, very broad concept. So what you're touching on, Mats, is, I think, a very, very good point there. Like, there are many sim similarities. I like the idea of, like, them shifting in time and, and what that entails. But, like, I uh, I think what you, what you said there about, like, we need to define what we mean by IT. Like, today, when I see... We have a lot of practices, right? We have like, we know how to drive IT projects. And when I say IT, I, I see it as like application development. I like, I'm not sure if I classify blockchain engineering, which I do right now as IT, because that has a very different dynamics. So I think like within this podcast, within this, I think we can talk about like building services and building apps, right? Because that's, that's what I want to contrast in. That feels like the status quo today, what most people tend to do. Like we, we have all of these methodologies that work for, for these things like Scrum. Yeah, Agile is a big thing. I don't think we, we need to hype that. And from that perspective, I really like what you're saying, Sarah, that like AI is an involvement of IT, that it's like, I've heard the concept code 2.0. And uh, I think the, that that is a very nice similarity as well. Uh, one thing that I, I've, I have on my list as well is like, version controlling and time traveling is something we can do both AI and IT, which is a superpower com compared to other disciplines, right? In, in IT, we can roll back systems, we can run systems at, at the difference as they were in a different point in time. And we can do the same thing with AI, right? We can run if this neural network happened to be yeah, turned into something we didn't expect it to be, we can run a previous version of that, like we have that control. And within AI, it's just as important to version control your models, your data, and the code. The same way in IT, we just version control essentially the code. Processes should be version controlled too. That's a bit what I would like to chime in here. Thank you. And I think 
some just just a small comment here. I think um, for I mean for us that has been working for more. I mean you are much younger than me, and that that's no. why I think that you don't re remember how hype of IT looked like twenty years ago. So <laughs> that might be something that you can't relate to. I totally understand. No, that's why I just got into the AI and blockchain hype, and like if you look at my career trajectory, I'm just surfing on the hypes. That, that's what I do. But I'm um, like, in my career, I've worked at a lot of different companies and, and uh, I really like to hear someone instinctively seeing AI and IT as completely different things because I, I do have a history of like having to explain to people that dynamics of AI projects are very, very different. Like we can't apply the same processes and tools as we do in normal software, like application development, as I would say. Joachim, did you have anything you wanted to chime in? Yeah, I thought uh, like AI, it's quite natural actually for it to extend the current IT departments to uh, both to extend the capabilities of things that uh, we could do today, but just don't have the human resources to like automatic, automatic security auditing and like certain things like we might be able to replace um, like uh, privilege escalation when someone needs access, we might be able to allow the AI to control what we are allowed to do there. Um, we might uh, also allow the AI to do certain amounts of IT jobs, like just to automate uh, the, the human resources that are required. Um, but also certain things that today would require quite a lot of engineering to build the data processing for, um, that previously we might think that might be too expensive to build. We're not like, we don't see the value add of being able to do that where now if we can build the, the models that we can train on the raw data, it might become more inexpensive to build the necessary technology to make the actual uh, like uh, informative decisions that we're trying to do on the data. And in that way, there are quite a lot of synergies where I think the IT departments that take advantage of the like AI evolution that we're seeing right now are basically going to be super powered and be able to achieve a lot more with a lot less resources than they previously have been able to. But also, I think it's important to understand that uh, from my perspective, I think we will see AI gradually migrate into our normal tools. Uh, we saw the releases from Microsoft and Google the last week and the week before. Uh, so, so all of our tools which are typically IT tools will be AI enabled to some extent. Uh, so, so we're in a very rapid transformation, but we'll see the gradual incorporation of tools, AI based tools in all of our systems, as well as coding software development tools, for example, the Git, uh, GitHub Copilots. Yeah, I think that's also a model of how interconnected all of these things are. Like as soon as you see progress on essentially any field, it just has this ripple effect across the whole industry, yep. which is quite amazing. Yeah. Nice. Well, we'll move on to the next question then. And it was yours, Morten, and you asked, how do you set up an AI project for success as opposed to a traditional IT project? So tell us a bit more about your question. Yes. So this is about when we actually get our hand, hands dirty and start to build stuff. So uh, we've already sort of build a consensus on AI being the next evolution, taking IT to the next level and, and about uh, like the importance of and what, like what we can automate with AI. So I think everybody's eager to, to embark on this thing. And uh, one thing I've experienced in the past is that 
we tend to copy paste our processes and our mindset from what we're familiar with. So, uh, uh, what I think it's very important is that when, when you're embarking on an AI project to understand if you are the project manager or someone being accountable for, for this project, like, again, what are the differences you need to know, but like, what are the things you need to take into consideration in order to succeed with your AI project? So you want to build this thing, you want to leverage this technology, uh, how is that different from succeeding in a normal uh, IT project? And again, as I mentioned a bit previously, like right now we see the most successful AI projects, they are driven by the main like giants and big tech. Like, can we learn anything from them or can we make sure that we can democratize AI a bit more and make sure that like even small companies can succeed with their AI projects? Uh, so those are the main questions I want to touch upon here. Or any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you touch upon a number of interesting topics. And I think uh, one starting point could, could be that there's perhaps a difference in building everything you're from scratch yourself or basing it on either published results. So my teams here at Axis, we, we work with uh, video, and co video analysis uh, or uh, analyzing video, for example. We base our... our products and applications on, on very much published open re research and open models, for, which we fine-tune for our, our purposes and our products. So, so one, one thing is to really understand the field of um, your, your use case and your, the specific, specific um, aspects of you, your use case and try to, to take the, the, the knowledge and, and the, the open research available and apply that to, to your use cases. Um, the other one is, okay, um, for example, OpenAI publishing the, their large language models. That's one thing. But uh, we have a number of companies tying into that using OpenAI's open APIs and building applications and making use of, of their AI in their processes. Of course, there are risks with that, but uh, that, that's also a way to... to think about applying AI to your own use cases and your own app processes. And I think you're touching uh, on a very interesting spectrum here as well. Like what is an AI project? Because like uh, you have on the one extreme, like training your neural networks from scratch, you just, just feed data, design the models and do everything right. And then you can base things on existing models. You can do fine tuning, you can do, uh, I don't know, use pre-trained models and then just add things on top of those models uh, all the way to the end of like essentially not doing any AI but applying or integrating AI models and if we go to that extreme uh, of the spectrum I would say like open AI publishing an endpoint and I'm using that in my app I mean that's that's almost an app development project like I, I would say that you can apply most practices you're familiar with in such a project of course, you will always inherit the uncertainty of the model. Like what happens if the model doesn't give me the, the result that I would expect, what is a bug and, and, and all of that. Uh, but yeah, I was, wanted to highlight that there is this sort of spectrum. And I think that might be the first thing, like, but when you are embarking and setting up an AI product to know where on this spectrum that, that you are, because that will affect what you need for that project. Yeah. Morten, if I want to add something here, um, well, of course, it all depends on the use case, how big your problem is, how 
wide the the data can spread in your um, scenario because right now we are talking so general here but uh, anyway i think it's always good to think about futures meaning that you should think about a proper data pipeline a proper life cycle management in your ai project uh, to know how you want to deal with large storage i mean uh, because these are i mean you might start with a small AI project in the beginning, uh, scalable to be managed in uh, still in a in an easy fashion. But uh, it, you should think about it how how you want to scale it if it becomes uh, quite big. And usually in this industry, no matter if it's a startup, if it's a small company, everyone wants to think big and wants it to happen uh, in quite a high. Uh, demand so uh, then it's always good to uh, because your question was about like how we should make sure that we are properly setting the project i think it's good to think about all these aspects from early and uh, early stages of your project yeah i love that you're touching on scale and, and these things it's almost like talking about budget because if you're scaling something where we're doing hoping api calls then essentially we need a budget right if we're scaling something that is running on a thousand services on AWS, we need a budget for that. It's it's almost like understanding the flavor of the budget that you're setting and, and how things are interfacing that. Yeah. Mm. I thought it was quite interesting. I, I, I believe in in the near future, at the very least, there will be a quite big distinction between companies that are doing open and active research and developing uh, these models. Uh, like you touched on on OpenAI, but there's some numerous other companies that are doing the same thing, uh, and the companies which are building the end user facing applications, right? Uh, because I think everyone is quite impressed with with ChatGPT and its capabilities, um, and it can do quite a lot of things. Uh, but the biggest impact will be had, just like someone has said earlier in in uh, the conversation that. It will be had when we have these tools available at our current technology or current uh, tooling uh, in the places where we're already familiar, where we know how the processes work, where they can impact those places the most. And uh, those types of things, I think they are more, like you said, they're more like application development, like enriching your current tooling with certain AI endpoints and just... Uh, you do you develop them the same way like you still have your database and your data store and you still scale the application the same way you just rely on these research companies to develop uh, better models as your technology improves and then uh, in providing the sufficient capacity on these api calls that you, you are making i think uh, i agree with you Joachim. that's a good, good point another aspect which perhaps uh, is a bit new is, is the rapid development. So uh, setting up an AI project, you should really make sure that you have an, sort of an iterative process because we are seeing a really rapid development, development both of, on the technology base, but also on, on avail, available solutions. So just to give an example, we, we have a, a number of VC-backed companies in the US who, who have built tools to automate, for example, generating presentations. Uh, the, the, the value of that when Microsoft adds uh, the AI into PowerPoint as such, or Google to their uh, PowerPoint presentation as part of the package, really vanishes overnight. So, so you need to look at the value and what ma makes your application or, and your uh, solution unique. 
Uh, I think, Sarah, you, you have a point that looking at the data, which is perhaps specific to you, your use case, is a key to where the value is. Yeah, but uh, I think this like kind of cuts back at the like the root topic of the of uh, this conversation as well, which is like AI versus IT, because the the people who are using these tools like to generate presentations right now it's kind of like either it's ai or it's my own presentation yep. there's no in between where i can like tailor the experience exactly myself and that's kind of what's missing and that's why you need this integration into familiar tools and you need a little bit more like battle tested ai to be able to actually mm -hmm. use it are you talking about like integrations where you can provide more data and you'll have models that are updated based on what you're doing because I think, yeah, right now we have that sort of hard distinctions. Like we have research labs and we have AI projects that are creating these AIs. But once they're out in the open, they're frozen. Like we, there are some models that weren't frozen out there. And we, we know there are some bad examples of what may happen when you train things on public data. But for personalization, you might be able to do really fun stuff. Well, well what I mean is more like uh, once you've asked the AI to output some data, the only alternative to, to getting some alteration of that data is essentially almost to regenerate the entire thing right now, right? Like if you ask the AI to output some presentation and you would like yeah. it to just change one slide, basically the only alternative is for it to, to regenerate the entire presentation. And the same thing is if you, if you ask uh, like Copilot or ChatGPT to generate some piece of code and you've decided to change some function, the only alternative is for it to regenerate that entire function from scratch. Like Ooh. there is no fine tuning right now, so you can't you can't really engage with the AI on the same level that we are used to uh, as humans to be able to interact with our tools today. Yes, I guess like, that's very specific to the deployed AI models today. I mean, the the technology and research. There's nothing stopping you from training a model on deltas and requests to to be able to have exactly the behavior you're you're saying. Like here, I have a presentation, and I'm asking the model to modify the presentation that way. Like there's I don't think we would need any research update to be able to deliver such a model. We just need economic incentive and someone with that data set, right? Uh, otherwise, we could embark on that project today, just us four creating a new company and <laughs> leaving our current places, right? So hmm. But at the same time, I think you can be putting the finger on one important point, and that's the interaction with, with the user of the AI. That goes, even if you... you um, move out of the space of, of tools for office automation. If you look into productivity tools or tools uh, for customer support, for example, you, you need to really have a focus of the interaction of the, with, with the user uh, engaging in the interaction to make sure that there are uh, escalation points, for example, to, to reach a, a human uh, operator or a human uh, customer service operator. That's an area which will become more and more important. This importance of everything being user-driven and user-focused, that's yes. 100%. And I also think you have mentioned, I mean, Joachim, what you're mentioning is basically to say that AI is still, in, it's not mature. We are still in the beginning of the process. So what we see is that we see the potentials of this technology, how uh, I mean, ChatGPT is very impressive, but as you say, like you still don't have this mixed inter interaction. I mean, there are lots of things that needs to be hooks that needs to be added. So we are just in the beginning of this journey. And uh, so thank you. Yeah, 
I think that's an interesting statement. AI is not mature. I mean, that depends on what you relate to. Like, chat GPT is an immature product, yes. But if, if we're talking about, like, AI for image recognition, like, if you have any company in the more in the world that has a large set of images and some sort of annotations, and that's a big if, but if you have that, like, you have out-of-the-box models and recipes that you can apply, and I can almost guarantee you, you would get, like, for any decent image recognition task that a human intuitively could do, you could automate that with like 98% accuracy. And we've been able to do that for like almost 10 years now. Yeah, so that use cases started 10 years ago, but yeah. I'm sure that if you we, we go uh, into time in 10 years and then you'll see that today we are in a very immature. Yeah, you mean, <laughs> for what AI, the capabilities of AI as a whole is is very, like there's so many things we can do and there's so much we can do, but what I was gonna say is that there are really old branches of AI and there are a lot of like legitimate, and I would call that like an, a narrow AI project. Like yep. Do image recognition model on, on this data set or things like that. Uh, that to me would be an AI project and the success would be measured by, well, the end application and things like that. But generative AI and what we can do with that, I agree, that's, that's very immature right now. Perhaps that that's also something to to think about because, as you said, sorry, it's tools, and we have several tools to do different things which are mature to different levels. So perhaps make use of the tools which are mature as a starting point. For example, transcribing audio—that's a very solved problem. And, and but but moving into the interaction and re logic reasoning etc that's sort of an, an immature area but when we look at the tools which are mature which are stable which are easy to deploy there's so much we can do in automation or processes using those tools so don't forget the 90 percent of the stable thing because we have 10 percent uh, of unstable exactly Nice. Well, we'll move on to the next question, and it was yours, Joachim, and you asked, how will AI affect the types of skills which are required in IT jobs? Does it affect how we need to educate students, interns, or how we coach juniors, and what type of skills and in what degrees we employ for them? So tell us a bit more about your question. Yeah, so I mean, th this comes back to how I think, like, how is the tooling going to change? Uh, what types of, like, reasoning skills do we expect from from IT staff, it, both software developers, but also across the entire IT stack, right? Like, as as this AI becomes more capable and can do more reasoning, can generate code and stuff like this, the question is more like today, IT managers have to be quite specific when you're hired, you have to look for specific skills for specific language skills, or you might be interested in hiring for particular uh, experience. Um, and these things might become res less relevant as the AI is, is uh, capable of, of interacting with these things. And so if you have some um, foundational knowledge, like if you understand the thought process that goes into building the specific thing, it might be less relevant going forward to have the specific experience that the customers are, are asking for. Um, so it's just uh, that's like uh, the surface of the topic a little bit. And then 
also as we like try to include juniors into our projects and and interns and uh, also how we train seniors in our staff right the how does the training process actually work in our organization now that we have access to AI that can assist us in, in this training process? And how would that look over the next 5, 10, 15 years? And how will it evolve the industry? So uh, I just got sort of a, a quick reaction to that. And uh, before we had uh, the generative models we got last year, uh, there was a, a, a skill set which we didn't know of at all. Uh, prompt engineering, uh, which was uh, sort of a currently, you, you as a prompt engineer, you could get a very well paid job at a number of companies in the US. That title wasn't invented last summer, so so it's moving so rapidly. So so I think you have a, a good point, Joachim, in, in that there are some foundational knowledge and understanding, but then we can't narrow down the skill set too much. We need to continuously be curious of what is happening and uh, learn through the process instead. Yeah. <laughs> no, no words. Um, so the, I, I would di divide uh, this question into two different parts. One, uh, companies who want to develop AI and then, I mean, their work is directly involved with AI um, and that's... Uh, I mean, for example, developing AI tools. And for that, they need, for example, data engineers, data scientists, and people who are actually aware of AI models, know how to deal with large data, big data analysis and things like that. So, and th those competences are already uh, getting established in universities. We do have graduates and um, and uh, large companies, at least right now, are employing these people for developing future AI tools. But then on the other side, I think that uh, in a more general context, later on, we do have AI involvement in all aspects of our life and in in many other com like uh, uh, you know, um, companies and sectors that are not even developing AI, but they're using AI. So having it as some, so people uh, having experts or even uh, employees who know how to use AI tools in a proper, in a fast pace and know how to use it. Uh, they are also another type of category of people who need to be um, involved. And for, for educating those people, we need to start teaching students, kids uh, from very early on how to uh, get involved with uh, AI because that's the future. I mean, it will. I mean, that's the evolution of IT and computer science and all these things. I mean, I think that all the educational system would be changed within like uh, one or two decades from now completely. That's another thing, and I think by that uh, time we probably have already quite uh, uh, like mature AI tools in place as well. I really like that distinction, like the, the AI organizations and the rest of the world applying AI, because I think like that's the, the side that we, that is still very, very immature. And I think the, the AI development is getting more mature, but like we're still just seeing the beginning of that. Uh, and of course I have a lot of opinions and thoughts on, on AI processes and the skills needed in AI organizations. And, and like one observation for me is that like in normal IT operations, 
you need brain power. You need someone with the main experience and someone who's really, really smart. Uh, in an AI project, if you're developing the AI, if you're training the models, if you're actually building chat GPT or something like that, data, 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 that's what's important, right? Like if you put someone taking an open source model, just training a transformer-based model on a lot of text and you feed that person a lot of data, you back that person up with a data organization, with data engineers, with good data pipelines, all of that, you will have a very successful AI project. And you barely need any machine learning components. You don't need me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, as opposed to what I think many companies do have seen secondhand and firsthand uh, companies do it. You hire a lot of smart people. You hire people with the right competence. You put them together, you give them a pro problem. There is no data, there's no data pipelines. These people will transition into software engineers, data engineers, and data acquisition engineers. Uh, that's partially how my, my career started and, and what drove me more into software engineering, uh, which was a really fun journey. And I think that also takes us to the other side, like the big portion of the world, because uh, like what we're seeing right now, it's still a centralization versus decentralization issue of building and owning the AI models, but let's not care about that for a second. Let's focus on the world applying AI and how this will automate everything. I mean, we, we saw that GPT-4 could pass the bar better than 90% of lawyer students. Like it's in impressive and amazing the results we have. And, and I really like that you mentioned the educational system here, Zara, because this touches on the societal change that has happened for the last 100, 200 years, ever since the Industrial Revolution. Like Historically, people have been, I do this, I am the smith, or I'm really good at that. or I'm, And even the last 100 years, we have been specialized. Like, I'm really good. I have a lot of domain knowledge in this area. And IT has been really a pain but also amazing in the society in changing roles automating things taking away jobs that didn't exist creating new jobs and ai feels like it's again the next level on top of it which will just accelerate this and in this new world it's even more important that we as people and humans are agile we're really important like i'm not gonna do what i was doing one year ago uh this year or next year like in two years i don't know what i will be doing if i know what i will be doing some AI is going to automate automate what I will be doing in two years. So fundamentally, I'll not be able to know what I will be doing in two years. That can feel very scary as an individual, but that also comes with a lot of opportunities. We just need to be open-minded. I think I think, I think you're leading into a very interesting discussion, Morten. And the, 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 actually, an area which I haven't thought to, so much about, but it could be that we're moving into an area where generalists are... Uh, where we add value, and the specialist knowledge is managed by AIs. The uh, a reading tip: There's a book called Range by um, uh, David Epstein, which talks about uh, the the advantages of of, of uh, broad knowledge, having the range of, versus the specialist knowledge. Uh, that's the one like why generalists thrive in an ever specialized world. Or something. Yeah. 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 So that's a that's food for thought. But um, yeah, and that's so counterintuitive, right? Like it feels like the smarter the models are, the more I should focus on like my tiny special. I, I need to be the expert in that area. 
But if we can automate intelligence and domain knowledge, suddenly we need the creativity that stems from knowing a lot of different things. Well, let's come coming back to sort of the the skill sets. That's where you started, Joachim. And and uh, for, for companies applying AI to develop new products and bringing new products out, I, I think we shouldn't forget the skill sets about. Uh, law legislation uh, as well as ethics ethics tied to that all of those aspects will be much more important in bringing out AI based products moving forward because there will be as you mentioned Morten there will be a societal discussion about ethics and, and uh, the, the, the fear the, the anger uh, around AI tools taking over some tasks so that will be more important to have skills within the, the company, perhaps not in, in the development department, close to the re- development department at least. Yeah, what I was thinking was like, will we see, you know, uh, will we see interviews and exams and uh, maybe even the school system be revamped to focus on like how good are you at learning and picking up knowledge yeah. quickly and new information? Because when you have this tooling at your hands, it's less useful for you to know specific domain pieces when you can just ask and if you understand the the information at hand really quickly and can apply it then that's a more useful skill set versus how it's been for the last 500 years where just having the domain specific knowledge has been the important aspect because it could only be taught by experience before right uh, coming to the fact that we were comparing IT and AI I should say that we shouldn't forget that IT has changed educational system in the last uh, 10 years, 15 years so far. I mean, the, the before everything, we were memorizing things. That was important. But now when they know that everything you can Google at uh, um, with a very uh, rapid uh, time, I mean, why should you bother memorizing a lot of knowledge? So that has changed a lot of ways of uh, studying that students have and uh, similar things would change when coming to AI, I suppose. So it's not as scary as it sounds when we think about it so generally, I think. I think uh, as as you say, like ChatGPT, I mean, when people see how it can impact their life, they will be even excited to use it. I mean, like cell phone and like internet and everything else, I think. Uh, I think everything would would go go hand in hand naturally but you're touching on a very like very uh, important like also like chronological event because you're you're perfectly right that like you know the invention of like calculators and the invention of like the internet and cell phones they've also revolutionized uh, our learning experience uh, but those were also they were gradually introduced into educational system and even though they, to some extent, allowed an overlap where people might have been able to partially sheet or something, uh, they were easy for the educational systems to adopt into their curriculum. But I think right now, if you look at the educational system, the educational system is based upon the fact that you can at least ask a human a basic question. And then when you ask it the basic question, you can deduce its level of knowledge based on its response. But today, with the generative AI that we have, a lot of educational systems are facing troubles because those questions can be answered as good or close to as good as an expert in the field by these generative AIs. 
And that's where I'm saying uh, then it becomes important to distinguish what types of skills we are trying to train students on and how we test them for these skills. Because I don't see the distinction as being useful, just like um, if you would go back a few hundred years and you would go into, uh, into a math class, you would tell these guys, you know, in a few hundred years, you're going to have calculators. You don't need to know how to do division by hand. Right. If you would try to tell students today that, you know, uh, you don't actually need to know how to answer this question because the AI will be able to answer it for you. It's more important that you understand the fundamental, uh, fundamental, fundamental reasoning behind the answer. Uh, but today we don't have a good way to test for that. Like we don't have a good test for if you understand the reasoning at hand. And uh, that's like quite difficult for us right now to, to adopt to and change. And so it feels like the only natural response from the educational system is to just outright ban these tools, which is not productive for development. No. But I, I think you have a point. And I, 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 I know that there is a discussion, at least in some of the universities, about uh, it's shaking the foundations of, of the school system to some extent. But what are the, 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 the knowledge and, and the, the capabilities we are trying to convey to the students. That, that's the, where you need to start. Uh, and uh, an interesting tidbit is that Andrew Eng, who is one, one of the fa more famous Google research directors, was one of the founders of, of Coursera, uh, the online. So to some extent, the, the, this has been challenged by the digitalization of, of education as well. But that's the starting point. Uh, I think you have the perhaps we should look at what is happening on, on the on, online universities. What are the next step and what kind of um, capabilities they are trying to, to, to convey to, to their students instead of going to, to our school system? I think the, 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 the openness to experiment with, with the, uh, new types of education is more likely to be on online universities where we are today. I think also like the goal of education, because education and schools have historically served two purposes. One is the sort of acquisition and spreading of knowledge, uh, which has dramatically changed with the internet and things like we know that the school is not the source of getting knowledge, but it has been the source of knowing how to process that knowledge and things like that. And schools have also served as a sort of evaluation and sorting mechanism. Who's we need, we only have this many positions for this doctor education or things like that. And I need to know who are the best doctors. I think like, how do I know that you are the best suited person for this job? That's why we ask people for grades or things like that. And that's a very interesting processing uh, question. And it also ties into like management thing, management and things and like, how do I prove that I know something? So there are two questions, like which skills are the skills that are going to be relevant in the future, because this is going to change the landscape. So what do people need to be good at in the future? And the second one is how do we measure that? So we're touching on the idea that knowledge acquisition and responding to change is a very important skill to have in the future. How do we test about that? And another thing that we should not forget about is resilience. And I think that's something we do pretty bad as a society. Like as soon as all these new technologies come in, even IT, like I don't know how, how long I would su survive without electricity. Uh, I would hate it if I happened to come in a situation where I felt that I couldn't survive one year without open, like if open AI were taking on API endpoints. Uh, so we, we still have a need for these old things. So we still need to be able to figure out how to do manual divisions. Yeah, like Def definitely. Mm -hmm. 
but I really like the question of what this implies for the school system and also for the whole economy. But now we're deriving from the <laughs> the more things we can automate, the less we can have an economy that's based on the existence of simple jobs that everyone can do, which has been the fallback mechanism for traditional capitalism. Yeah. Nice. Well, we'll move on to your question now, Matt, which is from an organizational perspective, will AI be driven through the normal IT operations or do we need to drive AI as separate initiatives? Will we see a chief AI officer in larger organizations? So tell us a bit more about your question. Coming back to more of the focus area. Uh, so my line of thought behind that question or our topic was um, that we, we've, and this touches on your initial thoughts, Sarah, but that we've been through a digitalization journey. Uh, but that, that journey has taken quite some time. But actually, for some companies, it, it wasn't until we, we had the pandemic with COVID that you were forced into to, uh, changing into a, a more of a, an online uh, sort of way of working or products online or doing um, product demos online, etc. So, so the digitalization journey has was quite slow for many industries, for many companies, um, and there were clear value in, in moving into to being a data-driven company in many aspects. But, but the, the change was quite slow. So my thought was, okay, are we set up to to rapidly move into an AI digitalization, uh, where the the tempo, the drive, the, the changes are both coming at a faster pace. It's not like that we get 10% more uh, CPU power uh, every whatever. Uh, the capabilities of the tools on the AI is changing week by week. We've seen that over the last year. Uh, and also, uh, it's not uh, limited to the, the sort of the more traditional digitalization aspects because it changes everything. Uh, we, we, we're talking about the marketing de departments, for example. Uh, today, we, we are able to generate uh, blog contents. The content generation with the new tools is dramatically changing the, the, the basic principles of our marketing departments, etc. So The question is, uh, driving the, the AI journey and AI change, uh, does that require something special from, from our organizations? Or should we look at it from a different perspective to be able to make sure that we we are uh, sort of keeping pace with this and taking the, the benefits of the tools and what 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 organizations are able to do this yeah very nice question i, I mean um i think that uh, at least here at ericsson we already have that organizational chart in place so it's not that the ai uh, studies or developments are happening in our IT department. Our IT department is basically a service uh, unit uh, handling all the IT support for employees, similar to HR. Uh, however, AI at this moment is more close to research, more close to uh, our development units uh, taking care of, and we do have like chief AI officer and those type of titles. So they are already there in place. Um, and I assume that maybe, I mean, I, I personally think that these organizational charts at this point in time might have a different role. They are 
doing this transformation, they are taking a big step and uh, it's a very, I mean, they're doing some strategic decisions at this point in time. However, perhaps moving in into time when AI is part of our, um, our products, our uh, normal ways of working, then AI would become perhaps that organization like current IT support, helping everyone with their AI questions and support. That is how I see it. But currently what they are is very strategic and how, and, um, uh, quite important on how this transformation happened. Um, but, but I don't think it will remain like this uh, in the future. So it will become a service because at the end it is a tool. And then when, uh, when, for example, new graduates, new, um, fresh people from that type of education that they already are quite integrated with AI tools, they are quite easily grasping everything at work as well. So there is no need for such an organization to be very strategic, I guess. So I want to go on a little tangent. It feels like we've implied, I mean, we also said much the like increased pace, like it's not like it's going to be 10% every year or something like that. It felt like you were implying that this is going to like AI is accelerating at an enormous pace. And I want to challenge that assumption a bit. And I think it's obvious that things are going to explode in the next decade. I, I do sincerely hope that in 10 years we'll bow to our AI overlords, uh, but I also want to provide a bit of an explanation, like research-wise, like I think GPT-4 was released recently and they didn't publish any details regarding that. And I think one of the explanations for that is that academically, there's not so much interesting things. Like all the technologies and, and techniques that we're applying are like they already existed in the nineties. Like we've become better at scaling them and feeding them more data. So I think we should view it as like ever since the internet was popular, like in the nineties and, and the past few decades, we've been creating this huge, huge database. And we have these companies who are utilizing this database and capturing more and more of that. And that's what we see in like ChatGPT. It's still not a general AI. It's like ChatGPT has never been able to tell me something that hasn't already existed on the internet. It's just been very, very good at aggregating the information that it is. It's taught me elliptic cryptography, but it's not going to publish the next paper on what's missing. That's, that's not within its capabilities. Like we can speculate whether or not AI will be there, but I think it's like, we're seeing this huge demo and that's creating this big hype, but we should be cautious in extrapolating that growth and thinking that we'll have this super AI within five months or five years. Maybe we'll, we do, but I think that from this perspective, it's not obvious that we will. Uh, that being said, and circling back to the sort of AI or the organization question, I'm completely aligned that like whether or not if you're applying AI to disrupt your own company, or if you're creating AI, you will probably want to have a chief AI officer. And those are two very, very different roles with the same title. The same way a CTO at a small startup or a CTO as a big company, those are completely different roles. Mm -hmm. You'll have many different roles which are labeled chief AI officer, which will be a headache for recruiters. <laughs> but, uh, so, so a comment on the last part of this. My, my, my personal belief is that organizations like Ericsson and perhaps Axis are we were well set up to, to, to manage the transition 
to see what is happening. We were able to invest in, in, in transforming this, etc. Small startups, uh, the, the small-sized companies which are living on, being curious and being follow, following sort of the, the, the latest trends, they will all, all, all also survive this transition to some, to some extent because they, they are agile and uh, adjusting. My, my main concern is the medium-sized companies uh, which are stuck in their normal business, uh, can't invest in, in making the transition but are really affected by the transition. That's where my concern would be. Uh, I share that. I think the biggest problem are the ones that have good working processes for working with yes. IT and doesn't identify that AI needs to be reconsidered from scratch of the impact it will have and how to apply it. Another risk I also see with even small startups, big companies, and especially with the mid-sized ones, is treating AI as a feature. Like the fact that something is an AI, that's cool. That's a type, right? <laughs> oh my God, we solved this problem with AI. That's amazing. And that is something we need to change. Like always, we need to change our mindset. The fact that a problem is solved, that is amazing. The fact that we can aggregate all this information and do this as a chatbot, that is great. The fact that we had to do it and had to resort to AI to do this, that's not good. That means that we lose transparency. It's very hard to know exactly what happens and see, look under the hood. We're sacrificing a lot of things when we're training black box neural networks with gradient descent to solve these problems. If you could solve this problem another way, it's probably a better way. The big amazing thing is that we can solve this problem. We can do them, but we have done it the duct tape way of solving everything. Mm. If you fix your car with duct tape, you should be happy that it runs, but you should not be proud that you had to resort to duct tape to fix your cover. Mm. Hey. No, but I think you have a point that focus on the value you create. That, that's the important thing in this. Well, actually, I've got a presentation called AI Hyper Reality. So I, I think we need to, I agree with you, we, we need to remove the hype discussion around AI. It's a tool. Uh, to a set of tools uh, which enable new capabilities, but uh, to 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 feed into the hype uh, that doesn't help us as, as organizations. And we will have a lot of chief AI officers whose job description will be, "Hey, I've heard about this AI. Yeah, we want one of those too." So <laughs> <laughs> um, that's not what we need. No. We need to see what are the problems we can solve and define everything based on that problem. Yeah. Yep. That should be the role of a sheep AI officer. So to all future people in that position, yeah, my utmost respect. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Perfect. Well, we'll leave it there as we're heading up to the hour. This has been another webinar of the Evolution Exchange podcast. I just want to thank Matt, Sarah, Joachim and Morton for joining us on this episode. And thank you to the viewers for listening and interacting too. If you want to get involved in an upcoming podcast, reach out to me either on direct message or by email at abby.stokes at evolution-nordics.com. See you next time.